You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. Okay, welcome to Hammer Factor 21. 21 issues of the Hammer Factor. On the line, we have Whitewater Legend, IR co-owner, and all-around nice guy, uh, John Weld. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. 21. Big 21. 21, yeah. We can drink. (laughs) <laughs> this is a show can drink. Yes. Coffee. <laughs> so Lewis is, we don't know if we're going to get Lewis. Lewis Geltman, our, uh, our co-host, who is a policy counsel for the Outdoor Alliance, is actually in D.C. right now uh, rubbing elbows. So we're going to try, and I've never done this, but we're going to try and just give him a call on his cell phone and see see what we can do he has a suit on which is always cracks me up I, i'm guessing he has a suit i don't hear it ringing although it says hello lewis huh gentlemen looky there it <laughs> worked man we promised our wow. viewers you were going to be there and then there you are hmm. right on right on so i know you're in dc what's what's going on man i just had it with talking about sup ad nauseum so <laughs> i just came back here to go talk about outdoor recreation economics and budget and it's gonna be way way more compelling yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're actually calling to talk about uh sup politics <laughs> see if we can find a way to ban them or something <laughs> was sup included in your economic study I'm, I'm sure there was. Yeah, we um, actually. It's John, not ours. It's Outdoor Industry Association. But, John yeah. and I were John and I were talking a moment earlier about uh, you know this this economic impact of the outdoor industry, and I think we 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 both agreed that you guys cast a pretty big umbrella in terms of gathering that number. I think that's I think that's accurate. I mean, well, it's basically uh, you're you're like well, coal miners are actually dirt. Enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've definitely heard that that criticism of the, the OIA numbers before. I mean, I think it includes things like everything, know, fine gas. It's like fine gas if you're on the way right. to the river. If right? you burn, if you burn tires. So. That's considered an outdoor activity. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that, that is with, that with is an impact. Legitimate in a as way, long as right? you drove your four wheeler there. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but for but for outdoor recreation, you wouldn't have spent that money. I mean, I think that that's I don't know. I mean, in a sense, that's accurate, but it's definitely I've heard that criticism before, and especially something that we kind of have been thinking about for a while is you know the new number is eight hundred and eighty-seven billion dollars, and it's sort of like it's just such a mind-boggling sum that I think people sometimes hear that and just sort of like roll their that's, eyes or shrug their shoulders or like this is yeah, really like the GDP of the United States this year. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we're, we think sometimes about how we kind of like take those numbers to a more meaningful level of specificity regarding like a specific resource. 
And it's like, it's really complicated. We've looked into this stuff before because, you know, like the common way that they do those economic studies is an economic impact analysis, which is basically looking at how much money visitors spend when they go to a place. So, you know, like our backyard trail system in Hood River, if you did an economic impact analysis of that trail system, it would count you know, what somebody from Portland spent to like drive out there, go ride their bike. If they went out to drinks afterwards, that would be in like economic impact analysis. Uh, okay. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't include me buying a bike to go ride a post Canyon because I live there and that's not tourist spending or visitor spending, nor would it include Things like, you know, like our biggest employer in the gorge is this company called in situ. That's this huge defense contractor that's like a drone manufacturer. And, you know, they have like a hundred million dollar defense contract and they employ all these tons and tons of engineers there. And all that is there because the two guys who started the company are windsurfers and they like wanted to live someplace that was sweet for windsurfing. So, you know, it's like very complicated. Like, how do you capture that? Right? Like, right. I don't know. So, I don't well, know. It's an interesting well, thing. Well, we were looking at this water sports gear number, and it it was it on the report here. It says fourteen billion, and I was wondering, Weld, what's your contribution to that fourteen billion? Uh, it's a around a portion. Yeah, it's a portion. Yeah, right, it's a portion of that. Like five, <laughs> ten, twenty percent. Like, what are we looking at? Here? Sort of, we're sort of the higher risk tranche of that segment, I would say. <laughs> I could put it in economic terms. <laughs> um, hey, before I forget, Geltman, and I need an answer for this. Uh, a couple parks around us here in Morgantown, including Cooper's Rock. Uh, which is right up the road from us, uh, as of Memorial Day, is going to be charging a $2 per car entry fee. Um, go ahead, explain. What's going uh, on that's this, making this happen? Is it a state park or is it... A uh, state park. State park. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what happens, right? I mean, the states don't have the budget to necessarily fund public lands very well. And... You know, I think that's one of the downsides when we talk about the risk of turning over national public lands to the states is, like, you know, user fees, certainly a part of it. Um, so I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, $2? <laughs> no, I just want to know the dynamic of what's going on here that, you know, like, how do we... So on one side, you say, okay, well, okay, maybe we're going to be paying less taxes, right? You know, I know uh, we have big news coming out tomorrow regarding our uh, our... The, the way we pay tax in the United States, I'm sure we're going to see gigantic sweeping changes occurring pretty much tomorrow at noon. Uh, <laughs> but so you argue, okay, so we're going to pay, supposedly pay less than taxes, but then we're going to get, we're going to pay, we're going to get nickel and dime for every other thing that we do. Is that, is that kind of the, the plus and minus of that balance sheet? I mean, I, I don't feel like I have the expertise to, give you much of a definitive answer on that one. Um, but, uh, I mean, yes, I mean, I, you know, I, it's a different deal when it's the state budgets, right? I mean, it's state taxes that would potentially be paying to maintain that land or state user fees. Are, are you, or, you know, maybe the state decides to do a bunch of 
coal mining there instead, and then you get in for free, or I don't know. Seems like a win-win. Let me not <laughs> not to change gears here on you, Lewis. But are you with Mitch McConnell right now? I haven't seen him yet this morning, but uh, <laughs> I'll keep Who an eye out seen? for him for sure. Have we you seen, seen anyone famous this, this morning? No, I we were out late last night. We had our board meeting all day yesterday, and then went out as you do. And uh, I just like, got into the office. Is this like an Uber Korea type situation where were you guys? <laughs> <laughs> like what what do, what does the outdoor alliance people do to unwind on a monday night in dc ah <laughs> uh, we just had a happy hour with like a bunch of our board members are in town and, i don't know like some congressional staff and people like that We're yeah good nothing compromising i'm hoping uh sadly not we'll Maybe see that end of the week. see if you can get mitch on the show okay that's got, a good idea i got some questions for mitch He's an, he's, I got, he's I got all... some questions for Mitch as well. <laughs> he's always one of those guys I see that are like you know referenced on Fox News or whatever, and I'm always like, man, I would really like to sit in a room and talk to that guy. <laughs> I, I would like to see you sit in a room and talk to that guy. We can make that happen. I mean, I, think... I would. I would really like to talk to him. I'd just be like, I just like shake his cheeks. Like, like how do you live with yourself? <laughs> I think Mitch would be completely nonplussed by John Grace. I don't think it would compute. It would, it would make any sense. He'd be looking around like, what? What, am, what is this? Murmuring into his jowl discontentedly. Right. Yeah. Well, so give us – oh, boy. John Grace is showing us his smalls to the wall swag yeah, right I got, now. I got a new shirt. <laughs> So you know that we're going to make – he's oh, the man. organizer going to make an appearance on the show here since John got his free gear. Uh, Don't edit that out either. Out. <laughs> I want the world to work. know what's going on here. <laughs> so, Lewis, real quick. Sorry to bother you. I know you got a lot of stuff to do. So, And and in all seriousness, so the uh, um, this outdoor industry economic report came out. And so what happens to it and what's significant about it? So this is something that like, it's like something that the outdoor industry association who is partner of ours does kind of periodically. I think they last came out with these studies in 2012 and it just gets cited like endlessly. Like it's something it's really useful. Like we cite those numbers and, you know, testimony or lobbying or whatever all the time and people pick up on it. It's like, do these you know, numbers, but, but do these numbers mean anything? Because I mean, we honestly, Grace and I looked at this for a minute. And we were like, that number is kooky talk. I mean, does this actually? This is just. Does that just get thrown? That number get thrown around, and people are like, well, whatever. Who knows what that means? Or does it actually mean something when you bring that number up? It means something. I don't. I, I'm, I'm interested that that's your reaction to that. Um, but I mean, like. You know, the Secretary of the Interior cites that number all the time. Like, Ryan Zinke was at the launch event for this thing this morning. And, you know, everybody in Congress likes to, you know, talk about the economic impact of outdoor recreation. And, you know, I think that there's, you know, like to us, the outdoors means something that totally transcends dollar signs, right? But when you go talk to people in Congress... You know, there are people who are like us, and there are people who are not like us. And the people who are not like us, they see dollars and cents. And when you're able to say, 
you know, protecting public lands. This is not like an alternative to economic development. This is economic development and being able to put some numbers to that. I mean, having this huge, massive national number, I think you're right that there probably is some uh, dubiousness about that. But, but but I guess the number is big enough that even if it's only halfway true, it's still a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not like throwing not true. I mean, true is not true. It doesn't end the conversation. Right. I mean, like, it's like we have all this money and then are we, you know, allegedly are doing all this. And then, you know, this week it's outdoor industry associations like capital summit. So a bunch of executives from, you know, like the kind of companies that you'd see at outdoor retailer, they're all in town talking to congressional offices and saying, you know, look, like protecting public lands, this is important to my business. Like if yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. has any public lands to go out on, I'm not going to sell any more hiking boots or yeah. whatever. So, I mean, you know, that stuff has an impact. I mean, you're right. Like did... Just trotting out some huge number doesn't end the conversation, but it's part of it. You guys should have flown me down to the, uh, to DC. <clears throat> you should be. Yeah, you should be here, man. I go to happy hour at Clyde's or wherever you guys go. Where, where do we go for happy hour in DC? Like, what's the? Uh, we went to this place called like Emissary. It's some, hmm. I don't know. It's like some like coffee shop during the day slash bar at night. I don't know. It seemed pleasant and nondescript. <laughs> Are you wearing so, a suit right now? I'm not, but uh, I do have a shirt with a collar on and it's tucked in. Does and I Ryan wear a suit tomorrow? Does Ryan Zinke know who you are? No. No idea. Wouldn't recognize you. No. What about Mitch? <laughs> uh, I, I could sort of see him like peering over his glasses quizzically. What's he doing? Who let him in? <laughs> Out of my office. <laughs> Well, it's a it's a really interesting study. Now, the people who uh, signed up for the email list did this get sent to them through you, through the um, um, Outdoor Alliance email list, or is this how, how did they? I get doubt this the whole study did. I think that we probably. I know that Tanya, who's our uh, communications director, I know that she posted something or did something about it, and so I'm sure that it will be appearing somewhere on our social media channels and if you're really interested you can check it out at uh outdoorindustry.org i think yeah that's where i got it i you know it's pretty interesting we got uh you know surfing scuba diving boating downhill skiing atvs um horseback riding mountaineering motorcycling on and off road hunting fishing and you think about it and you know like Mainly, I just think of mountain biking or paddle sports or whatever when I think of outdoor activity. But you're all of these activities you're doing in the outdoors. So there, I mean, that maybe this number is right. Who yeah, knows? I mean it's. Yeah, I mean it's like we as humans are like real like adventurous outdoor sports. We're definitely not the biggest part of that, right? But we're part of it, and we can we can use that stuff to tell the story we need to tell. It's good. It's good they're doing it. You know, like they have uh, they have state numbers as well, and I think they haven't finished producing those yet. Like they still have the 2012 state numbers up on the website, but uh, I'm assuming there will be some 
new state numbers coming out as well. And I think that helps with the specificity stuff. And I don't know. I think that economic stuff is pretty interesting. Like, I think you're right about the OIA numbers being a little bit of a like blunt instrument sometimes, but another really well, cool thing to check out sometimes is uh, there's this outfit in Bozeman called uh, headwaters economics and they do a ton of kind of like more sophisticated economic studies about the value of protected public land, like looking at things like, I don't know, like the economic performance of counties that have national monuments or wilderness areas or whatever in them and comparing them to kind of like pure counties over a length of time. And I mean, there's definitely ways to demonstrate that protecting public lands has economic value. And it's, well, also it's point out, you know, we, we're our factories in Confluence, PA, which is a town of 300 people in western Pennsylvania, middle of Appalachia. Uh, you know, coal mining has long since left, or for the most part left. You know, lum, uh, lumber industries have all left. Um, and what's left is the bike trail and and hunting, and there's a lake there, you know, with uh, boating and stuff like that and swimming. So, you know, for a lot of places like that, that's what's saving that town, you know? Yeah, no and I mean, that, those are really the kind of stories that make a difference, you know? It's like you show up and show up here and talk to your congress, your congressperson, and they're like, you know, like, I'm the largest employer in my town. <laughs> and, like, this is here because of whitewater kayaking. And if you guys like pollute the castleman or the yacht to the point that nobody wants to fucking paddle here anymore, like we're leaving. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so, so Lewis, do you want to stay on as long as possible or do you need to get off the phone? Man, sadly, I got to jump. I got to finish writing something and then go to this thing <laughs> a mixer a thing huh <laughs> i think the thing involves karaoke <laughs> <laughs> all right well see what you can do about hooking us up with mitch and uh yeah looking forward to hearing the stories next week and pick an abba yeah. song for your for your karaoke you can't go wrong <laughs> Thanks, man. You Thanks, Mister. You uh, mess the place up while I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mister. Galman. Bye, yep. Lewis. Later, boys. Well, there you have it. Direct from DC. There we go. Our, I mean, our, come our, on, we got responded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a crowning moment for the hammer factor right there. Coming to you live from uh, <laughs> 853 billion dollars. I'm, you know, I mean, you look at that list of all the things and. You know, you can start to imagine how, I don't know. I wonder why we started making kayaking gear and not <laughs> skiing gear or four-wheeler gear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, next life. Next time. Okay. Now, on to the... Got lots, of show to, lots of show to go to. So. Yep. Now, now, earlier we recorded a... Uh, um, an interview with Don who puts on the Cuyahoga race. Um, so let's, so we're going to play that right now before we get into Bryn Orton. So, so, but this hit, right. I mean, to be honest, this hit radar because this is a, it's a whitewater race occurring in an unlikely place. So yes, exactly. and you were pointing out this is, uh, it's kind of an urban, well, not kind of, it's definitely in an urban center. I mean, it looks like you're putting in it like a, 
like a Sherwin Williams or something, you know, like at a, <laughs> like a, a VA administration or <laughs> parking lot. <laughs> um, uh, but the whitewater looks pretty good and he's getting a good turnout. And you were saying this is the future of whitewater kayaking in your, in your superlative type of way. You were mentioning this was the future of the sport. Exactly. I was saying this is where the growth is going to occur in the sport is the new markets and – opening up hey right the, look these guys and i believe it was the Kaya, friends of the cuyahoga um we talk about in the interview but there was a whole series of dams on this river and they're getting every one of them moved out having kayaking races there's like 600 people coming and spectating come on that's a big deal and and zero reported cases of polio from the water <laughs> okay let's let's go to the interview <laughs> with that one <laughs> So what happened there, before we get into the race, what happened with the dams being removed? How did that, was there a push for that? Was, did, were there some people who made that happen? How did that all come about? Absolutely. There's, um, there's a group called uh, Friends of the Crooked River um, that has been leading the charge for removing all the dams on the Cuyahoga River. Um, there were... There were two dams removed previously. I'm not exactly sure on the date, but one was in Kent and one was in Monroe Falls. And that kind of started the push to get all of them taken out. Um, so then we moved down into Cuyahoga Falls and there were two dams uh, and they were pretty much back to back. They were about um, an eighth of a mile apart from each other. And once those came out in 2013, um, you know, the, the city, the mayor at the time, Mayor Robart, um, and he worked with uh, a lot of groups to get those dams taken out and let the river flow freely. Um, there are two more dams left on the river. One is um, halfway between here and Cleveland, uh, and that one is scheduled for removal. But the biggest one right now that needs the most attention is the Gorge Dam in, uh, in Cuyahoga Falls. Uh, and they are working on that. The Ohio EPA is completely behind it. We're working on getting the funding from the federal EPA. Um, there's still a few studies to be done, but that's a 60-foot dam, which creates uh, a mile-and-a-half dam lake. And under that is about 60 feet of, um, you know, elevation change, which we know there's rapids under there. We're just not exactly sure what they're going to look like now. Hmm. We're uh, expecting like a class 2-3 creek scenario underneath that lake, which leads up to a 20-foot uh, cascading waterfall. Hmm. which is currently below the dam. But once that dam comes out, we'll have a, a, a solid link between what we have upriver above the lake and below river or downriver below the dam. So how long of a whitewater section would that be when it's all said and done? Um, we're looking at probably about two and a half miles of uh, starting with class two, uh, hitting the waterfalls behind the Sheridan, which are class class. Uh, four to five, depending on water level, and then probably hook back up with the class three rapids, maybe two that we're expecting in the dam lake. Then you would hit another um, probably class four waterfall right below the dam, and then into some more class two waves, um, class three maybe on water level. But uh, the, the the wave, it's an awesome wave train. Even now below the dam, uh, one of the one of the fun local runs is is what we call the lower gorge. And at high water, it is just a, a great playtime, um, just wave trains nonstop. So what's the water quality like? Uh, well, you know, 
I prefer not to drink it, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, uh, there's, I think it's fine. I mean, I, um, I practice play boating in the, in the flat water above the, the Sheridan run. Um, definitely just like you see most in any urban environment after a heavy rain, the water's a, a, a chocolatey milky brown, uh, but it cleans up and the, the visibility is definitely improved. The wildlife is definitely improved. We've got minks on the river and someone actually just captured a picture of a beaver at the at the race. It, I didn't even know they were there. I'd never even seen a beaver in this area, but uh, there's been evidence of them, you know, uh, but there someone captured a picture of a beaver right next to uh, Jackson Karma Unlimited, literally right in the middle of the race course. Uh, we had no idea what he was doing there, cool. but uh, we've got river otters returning, uh, minks, uh, you know, they look like. I don't know if you've ever seen a minx, but they're kind of like just river ferrets. Um, but yeah, I think the water quality's definitely improved since the dams came out. Um, the smell is improving also, but yeah, it's uh, it's a great river now. So I, 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 for some reason, I'm picturing like below the lake a bunch of silt. I mean, I guess when they knock these dams out, what have you seen this happen before in on other dams on that section of the river, or what happens? Um, you're right. Uh, silt. When the Monroe Falls Dam came out, which is a few miles upriver from uh, where the race course has, some of that silt and sand has moved downriver. Now they do a, they do the best that they can to remove it, um, but with the Monroe Falls Dam removal, that silt has moved. And just even last year, uh, right below the first waterfall, there's even part of a uh, like a sandbar building up right behind one of the rocks. Uh, which wasn't even there, you know, last year. It's starting to to build up. So some silt is moving downriver, but the majority of it is landing into the dam, the 60-foot dam lake that that's still there. So with that sediment, part of their removal process with the dam is um, the the sediment is going to be hydraulically dredged and pumped out and moved to a, a containment area. There's there's a conveniently placed um, old landfill right down river. Um, and the, the plan right now is to utilize that dam or that landfill for all the sediment behind the dam. Um, and you know, the Ohio EPA is doing a wonderful job working with, um, all the, you know, all the local support groups and they have a committee put together, um, and everybody is supporting the removal of the dam. It's just, um, getting all the studies put together and getting the federal EPA to fund it. Um, mm. And that, that's where we're moving towards right now. What? Tell me about, uh, so where did the idea of the race come from, and uh, what is your involvement with it? That is a great question. And um, so it originally started as a, a local grassroots private Facebook race. Um, the, the co-founders of the race were uh, Tommy Pyros and Nick Williams. And these guys... Um, pretty much started running those Sheridan Falls right around the 2013, like, uh, the 2013 era, r immediately after the dams were removed. So late 2013, early 2014, um, Tommy and Nick just started sending these falls. Um, they'd been whitewater kayaking for quite a while. And um, so they started, you know, bringing their friends and kayakers and exposing people to the waterfalls and making it more of a... Um, uh, 
a group activity for the local paddling community. So they wanted to just put together a quick race just to see, you know, uh, if the water level was good, we'll run, uh, we'll run a race and see who wins. So I was part of that group and I got invited to the whitewater race and, um, I started making logos and going through some pictures that some guys had of them running the falls. And then someone brought up the idea of, um, of making t-shirts. So that's when I got involved because I've lived in Cuyahoga Falls my whole life. Um, I literally live about 300 yards from the river itself and maybe three blocks from the, from the waterfall. So, um, I grew up on the river here. Um, I know everything about it. And, um, so I kind of got brought on as like, uh, an organizer to help them promote the race. So they created it. They kind of recruited me to, you know, really go into the promotion side of things and it ended up being brought into the public eye because a lot of people heard we were doing it and wanted to um, come to watch so that's when um, another person in the local group matt fredmonski he put together a um a press release so we released a press release and then uh you know it from there it exploded um you know we started inviting a lot of people to the facebook page even though it was private um, the mayor got invited. Once the mayor found out, he was super excited about it, backed up the race 100%, got the city behind it. Um, and then um, it turned out we weren't going to have enough water to to run the event. And it, the water was just dropping out. Um, I think, the, you know, we want to run 600 to 800. And we were probably looking at 300 CFS. So the mayor actually contacted the city of Akron um, water department and there's a reservoir that they get all their water from. Um, I think it's about 12 miles upriver, um, but it's located in Kent and they released water for us, which is unprecedented. Cool. They've never done recreational release. Um, so the mayor, Mayor Don Walters was crucial in getting us the water that we needed last year for the inaugural race. And uh, without that, I mean, we still would have ran it, but um, I mean, you can still run it. It's still fun. It's just not fast or, and it's not nearly as challenging. Um, so how many days a year does that, does that section of river run? I mean, is it something that only runs in the spring or can you run it all summer? Um, it's definitely very low in the summer, um, aside from flash flooding, um, some freak rainstorms, if it rains consistently in the summer for, you know, a 24-hour period, we might see a nice spike where we can utilize the river for a day or two. But it typically runs pretty heavily in uh, all through the winter, usually, um, sometimes too high to even be, you know, runnable. Um, I mean, you can – the highest it's ever been ran is 2,500, and there's a video of that. And it's, it's a pretty scary video. But um, – you know, typically the guys will run it up to 1,500, um, uh, but the, the safe zone where the, the holes don't become as nearly uh, retentive is right around the 600 to 1,000 mark. But, yeah, typically spring and fall and winter. Uh, summer, it's a really dry, low river. You can uh, pretty much hike across the river in the summer. So tell me about the race this year. How many racers did you have? Did you get a, a crowd to watch? Kind of paint the picture for me. Yeah, um, I would say last year we had probably, you know, three to 400 spectators. This year I would at least double that. I mean, it was 
it was packed um, and people were coming and going throughout the day. So we might have had even up to a thousand visitors, maybe even more. Um, I was so involved with the race, I, I didn't get a chance to really walk around and see all the different spectating areas. But um, we had uh, we actually had more than 50 registered boaters. Um, but some backed out. We were it was higher than we than we expected. Um, some of the local guys that had ran it at lower water um, knew kind of where their abilities were. And when we were when we were at 800 CFS, they thought you know maybe they should wait for another day to to um, you know tune in their abilities a little a little bit. So we ended up with 49 competitors registered and racing, um, and that uh, those competitors came in from 15 different states, mostly on you know, mostly the Appalachian states uh, on the East Coast. Um, and uh, it was a phenomenal event. You know, we had a little bit of a late start uh, with some late registers. Uh, so I had to sacrifice some of the stuff that I had planned with the announcer. I didn't have time to put everything together. And, uh, oh, yeah, Hunter Cooper definitely showed up for the race. <laughs> yeah, we had quite a few um, big names out there. Um, I... I could list them all off with, uh, with the fear of maybe forgetting one of them, but we had uh, Stephen Wright, Hunter Cooper, Wade Harrison, um, Matt Huddleston, um, let's see, uh, Bobby Miller, Seth Chappelle. Um, I know there's another Jackson. Oh, Chad Christopher was there. So um, hopefully I didn't forget anybody. Uh, uh, Adam Homburg, Paddles for Prana. Uh, and Nick, Tommy, actually the co-founders last year, Nick, uh, just got picked up by liquid logics, um, liquid logic kayaks and Tommy Pyros just got picked up by, uh, Jackson kayak. So, um, these, these guys, you know, put it, starting this event last year, basically segued this into, to where I was able to promote it and take it to the next level. And, you know, them being the co-founders, I wanted to make sure that they were okay with me you know, becoming the, the race coordinator and just, and just moving forward with it, promoting them as co-founders and, uh, they're phenomenal paddlers. I love paddling with them. Um, and, uh, it's, it's good to, to see it grow from 22 competitors last year across, uh, three or four States to more than double this year with, you know, half the States on more than half of the States on the East coast coming up to visit. Did you do a slalom out there during this race, or was it just a downriver sprint? How did the how was the format? Oh, great question. So we had um, a short boat race. It's just a, a half a mile sprint. Um, long boat race, same thing. Um, then we switched it up this year, and Nick Williams was pretty much the guy who who had the idea to set up the slalom course. I mean, there was a lot of guys that were interested in the slalom course. A lot of the local paddlers, uh, Mike Safran, Ross Crocker, uh, probably the, the biggest supporters of putting in a slalom course. So Nick and those guys worked together to set it up. Um, and, uh, Brian Homburg back in the, in the late 1980s, um, he was part of the USA whitewater slalom team. So part of his practice is he actually would set up slalom gates, uh, in this area and on the lower gorge to practice for that. Mm -hmm. Um, so we actually, we actually knew it was possible. Um, it just took a lot of time and effort on, on Nick's part, um, to get it all set up. 
and uh and that that worked awesome we also threw in uh a boater x um we had seven guys launch and uh surprisingly you know it was an open class boater x so you could use a long boat short boat and surprisingly uh nick stayed ahead of the pack for um the most of the second half of the race in a party brab um and uh nick is just a beast paddler man uh, he was staying ahead of the long boats um, dropped into uh, the waterfall section of, behind the Sheridan. Still was in the lead um, all the way down through the uh, second drop in the jumble of rocks down there and then just barely got pushed out by uh, Hunter Cooper, uh, who won the Boater X by, by literally probably 10 feet. Uh, and uh, so the longboat came in for the win, but that was uh, pretty exciting. I do have that was the only uh, a video media I was able to capture on the day because uh, my phone fried. Um, I was able to record the Boater X with my drone. The video is on the Facebook page. It's definitely worth watching. It's a pretty intense race. Uh, but immediately after that, my battery died on my phone literally while I was flying the drone. But oh, I that's it. scary. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I knew my battery was dying. Uh, so I, I, drew, I flew the drone immediately to where I could see it. So I knew the phone was going to die, but and as soon as it did, uh, I parked the drone uh, visually. But, yeah, I mean, it was an awesome, awesome event. Um, I'll tell you, one of the most impressive runs was was watching Seth Chappelle run the slalom course in uh, his C1 kayak. That was pretty awesome to watch, and uh, he did place third place with that. So, Cool. Well, do you have a date for next year, Don? Uh, we don't have one set in stone, but we're typically looking at the third weekend in April. Um, I'm actually pulling up the calendar right now to to see what that's going to look like. Um, oh, going the wrong way. So it looks like uh, we'd probably be looking at April 21st, 2018. I don't want to – don't quote me on that, uh, but – you know, I am trying to get some feedback from a lot of the kayakers to, to make sure that that third weekend in April is still good to go. I know the city likes it. Um, uh, as far as getting the commitment for water release from the city of Akron, um, they like it as well because in the summertime they need to pretty much hold on to all the water that we can get. That is their drinking water that they give us. So in the spring, um, they're more than willing to to help us out with water flow if we need it. Um, so April seems to be a good month because it's right before all the fests and races um, across the country start. So we definitely want to keep it convenient for, you know, a lot of the, the big name paddlers and just people all over the East Coast to give them something else to do in the late spring before everything else kicks off. Well, it sound, I can't wait to see, uh, see this race evolve. It sounds like you got a good thing going there. Well, Don, I'll let you. I know you got to get out uh, on the water and take some gates down, but uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. John, do you have anything else you'd like to? No, I was actually interested in the solemn as well, but I think we covered that. It looks like a slalom, it looks like a solemn course waiting to happen. I agree. So, all right. Well, you have a good day, Don, and uh, yeah, just reach out if you ever need anything. All right. All right, well there you go. Now let's uh let's just let's just move straight on. Enough about the Cayuga and let's get uh Bryn Orton. Brendan hmm. Orton. 
and see if we can add him to Bren, the conversation. You would know Bren because he's the guy. Is you're getting him on right now? I'm getting it on right now. Yep. Okay, you would know Bren because he's the guy who was made famous uh, by being rescued by Dave Fuseli above that waterfall. Yeah, he thinks we're calling to talk about uh, his event that he's putting on, but really all I want to talk about is him getting rescued by Vasily. That's right. Not interested in the event at all. Bren, just hold on for one minute. We're talking about you. Yeah. And so... Zip. And so... So he... <laughs> yeah, he was... There was like 50 or 60 million views of him getting getting pulled out of the out of the river by Dave Fuseli, who was... Might as well wearing a Superman t-shirt when this happened. <laughs> right? Yeah. Great. <laughs> Uh, Brent, are you there? I am. I don't. I'm having a senior moment. I can't find the way to make the button pop up. Oh, wait. Can you see us? Oh, yeah. There we go. Perfect. Here we go. Oh, look. We got Brent and Dane on uh, on the Hammer Factor this week. (laughs) We got to go go pack of boys in there. Bunch of accents. So, Brent, Brent, could you explain to me what's wrong with Americans, just in a nutshell? (laughs) <laughs> and then maybe um, specifically American kayakers. I, I'm deaf, so I won't be able to hear it, so go ahead. This <laughs> is the bread, not Dane, but thanks for proving that point. <laughs> um, everything wrong with America. Yeah. Uh, go. Your, president, your president doesn't believe in science. Okay. Brexit! <laughs> <laughs> Was that Dane coughing Brexit in the background? <laughs> I mean, on behalf of everyone in England, we'd like to thank America for managing to yet again be the bigger idiots. (laughs) You really really trumped us. We saw Brexit and we're like, we can do better. Yeah, hold my beer. Got that. Hold my beer. Here we go. Okay, so American kayakers. What's wrong with American kayakers? And go ahead and you can use slalom or our lack of canoe clubs. Or urine-filled artificial courses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, man, I honestly like a lot of American kayakers. I <laughs> don't. I mean, I, I wish I wish I could talk some some rubbish on them right now, but I, I honestly I get along with most people I meet on the river. There's definitely. Uh, I mean, coming from England in the southeast, back where back where Grace is, there's definitely some like. Real American boys down there on the green, you know. You paddle past Gorilla, and you're like, "Hell yeah, man! Power to you!" <laughs> that, that I definitely don't get that much, but it's it's pretty funny. It keeps it entertaining out there. All right, there we go. All Here's right, so we're done. Thanks. We'll uh, thanks for your time. Okay. Well, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> all right, all right. Real, real quick before we get on to uh, what you boys are up there doing right now, tell us about uh that infamous day when Facility roped you out above the waterfall. Give us the play-by-play. And how did you miss that booth? I mean, dude, that was, that was honestly, that was, um, that was my first 20-footer followed by my first 60-footer. Um, so, That's a fast I mean, that progression. But, I mean, dude, I was, that was, yeah, that was my first year on tour with, with Dave and the Demshits crew, and I was just like, it was honestly just a baptism of fire, you know, that like, the only advice I ever got told on any section of river, you know, I'd be like, Oh, where are we going here on this rap? And it would just be like, follow Dave, do what Dave does. <laughs> and it was, it was a rough couple of weeks and I definitely got owned in a couple of holes, but you know, I, I spent long enough in a freestyle kayak that I could sort of rodeo out eventually. So even though I got my ass kicked, I didn't necessarily 
um, swim. I don't, yeah, I didn't really swim that year, but even though I got destroyed in a lot of rapids, but basically, dude, it was just, you know, getting, getting overconfident and just being so fired up and motivated to be with those guys who were going to run it. And I was just like, you know, I can't miss this opportunity. I, I don't know if I'll ever come back to the Olympic Peninsula. And, you know, I definitely was not ready for it. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest, the rest is history, you know, <laughs> like, I just didn't have the finesse for that drop. You know, when, when you watch Dave run it, it's just beautiful. You know, it's a late turning boost stroke, which takes a lot of confidence and experience to pull off. And, you know, back then, my only uh, real understanding of how to boost was to just sprint as hard as I could and uh, not stop kayaking, not stop paddling until I landed. <laughs> so, you know, I did that. I did that. That's I, not how it's done? Yeah. Shocking. It's kind of the wily coyote approach. <laughs> Yeah, just keep exactly, running out man. of space. <laughs> anyway, that was that made for some epic entertainment. I, I watched that at least yeah, a dozen times. So. Yeah, yeah, it, it's also the highest paid moment of my life so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> Killer. All right, so tell us about what you got going on up there right now. Fill us in as if we don't know anything. Okay, well, it is a ridiculous time of year right now for. Uh, Eastern Canada and Quebec and it is it's so we're in the middle of stakeout season and for about six weeks a year here we get potentially some of the best big big river waves in the world the biggest the scariest and the sickest and um, it's it's a pretty famous gathering of kayakers a lot of people flying throughout the world just for this season just to surf and over the past couple of years there's also been an event held here called the Whitewater Grand Prix which was absolutely awesome I mean by far the best event I've ever been to Aside from a green race, Grace, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it was awesome. But unfortunately, that couldn't happen the last two years. And uh, we, I mean, three out of four of my crew have all competed in it and fought the same as I did. But it was just awesome, and that you know the white water here is too special for us not to have an event that allows us to showcase what's possible on this on this section of white water. So, so for, they, just for the people out there, where exactly is this, and what and what rapids are we talking about? Um, right now we're going to be based, uh, around the Ottawa river and the Mississippi river. You'll have seen them in a couple of, uh, older videos, but I mean, high water Ottawa is pretty infamous for his waves such as minibus, big bus, gladiator. Um, sure you've heard of a couple of those. And then further up north, we've got the Mississippi river and the Mississippi and we have bridge rapid. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's enormous. Um, and then on there we've got, um, on that river, we've got, Ginormica, Ginormosaurus, um, Black Mass, H2O wave, bunch of good waves up there. And then in between, we have some really sick sections of white water to race down, like the Rouge River at high water is just insane. So much fun. And then we've got the Petit Bostonet, which is where we're hoping to hold the creek race. But that thing is pretty legit. So who so all you is got? So invitational? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, say that again? Who all you got up there? Well, tell me about the, is this an invitational? Anybody can come? You know, what's how's it work? Um, it, it is this year we did we sent out some invitations to a couple of people that we we thought would want to come and compete and we wouldn't have to worry about and we also we had an application process that anyone could apply to and um, we had a panel of vetting people and you know I don't we, we only really we didn't really turn anyone away because they weren't good enough like everyone who was applying had a good understanding of what they would potentially be getting into by uh, applying to come to this event it was it was more just because there were we had a bunch of entries and there were a lot of competitive kayakers trying to come and we just tried to pick 
who we thought would perform the best. So. And how many and people do you have? Uh, right now, I think we have about 23 kayakers. Um, with four women. We, yeah, right now we have, no, we have five girls competing now, which is oh, awesome. Oh, that's a great turnout. Um, who, who are your ladies? Um, we have Brooke Hess, Genevieve um, Royer, Genevieve Royer um, Darby. Darby McAdams, really excited about her being here. She's absolutely crushing it. Um, we've got Jordan Slaughter and Katie Kowalski. So really, really strong ladies, ladies crew. We're fired up. Hell yeah. So are we, are you experiencing peak water right now? Or is it going up, coming down? What's we're uh, right now we're experiencing, um, there's usually about two big peaks a year. And, um, right now we're experiencing the first one. And what's crazy is that, um, this isn't even the biggest peak, but the levels that we're reaching right now are usually the max. So that means in about three weeks, they're going to get a second peak, and it's probably going to be some of the highest flows that we've ever seen in each of Canada. And um, maybe when that happens, we'll find some new waves, some new rivers. But um, the spring is about to go off for sure. Okay, so you guys are there for the next month or so. Yep, spot on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. we're not going anywhere until uh, until the flows are low, which probably won't happen. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely going to be an epic spring, and definitely couldn't have asked for better water levels for our event. And so who, who does the judging? Is this a peer-reviewed judging? Do you have how, – how are you keeping score of both uh, – I mean, is, do you have a timing crew? And how are you pulling it off? Dude, we're, we're honestly, this is, this is an event run by athletes for athletes. So the only way we can make this happen is by having everyone cooperate. So everyone's going to have to help out with the timings and the gate judges on the, on the giant slalom. And then for freestyle judging, we're really excited. We just came up with our own scoring system that is influenced a lot by how they, they surf in the ocean. And uh, we're going to be judging that. And, I mean, we absolutely are not trying to, you know, fake any results or anything like that. Like, if someone pulls off the best ride, we don't care who it is. We want to reward them. Yeah, you know, so it's going to be judging, but by, by people who know the scoring system. You know, like, we, we wrote it, so I think we understand it best for this year, but... Next editions, I'd be stoked to bring in some outside judges, just so there's no question about anything like that. Cool. Yeah, this is the this is the first uh, the problem with um, stakeout. The hardest thing trying to apply traditional freestyle judging to it is that you can. Uh, it's hard to reward people for trying to progress or really trying different things. But also, um, what we really wanted to go for with our new system is it's the first time we'll be rewarding people for. Um, we have normal judging, then we also have what's called a Steve score, which is basically um, you're going to give a person a certain amount of points based on how well they did all the tricks in their ride. But then we also have a third judge, which is called the flow multiplier. You can get scored from one time to two times your score based on how well you move in between each trick and set up and stay active on the wave. So someone that's just front surfing waiting to throw a trick won't get scored as high as someone that's really being active and making their passage happen and really go for what they can. Um, so that way it really leaves no room for people to be able to just throw one trick. Like you're going to be adding everything together to one score. So if I was up there just kind of trying to survive and soul surf a wave, I wouldn't get a very good score in this competition. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you, you, get thwarted, you just got, you just got to look cool doing it. I mean, that's okay. no problem for, for grace. Oh, yeah, he's got he's that got done. Yeah. Some shutter spin. Maybe this is a good time to segue into the, the viewer email we got uh, regarding freestyle. 
and the Jacksons. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys yeah. got? Do you guys have a second up there? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so a part of our show. Let me fill you in on this. Um, uh, we always do some viewer mail, and so being that uh, we have a bunch of people write in questions, always wanting to learn about something. So, we're going. Being that we have this opportunity, we're going to cue you in on uh, on some questions that came up. Do you want to do this well? Do you have them in front of you? I do. <sighs> Uh, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and paraphrase this because it goes on for a bit. But the first paragraph kind of gets to the meat of it. Um, he, he who who is the guy who wrote this? I don't have his I don't have his name here. Simon he Windham. Simon Windham. Windham. Simon Windham. Okay. okay, he writes. Okay, for one more for the thinking pod. In an earlier episode of the Hammer Factor, there's some mention of why some paddlers don't like Jackson kayaks. One of the speculations was that uh, it might be in part due to their family-friendly image and a big focus on freestyle. So here's the thing. While freestyle is not exactly in its heyday, why is there freestyle hate around? And he goes on to say that most really good boaters have freestyle as part of their their quiver. Um, and he mentions uh, the world's top boaters, the Garcias, the uh, Marion, uh, Adrian, Dane, Benny, all these guys are damn good at freestyle. They recommend it as a way of getting better. Um, so what's what's uh, what's up at, what's up with that? So why uh, with such hot butter singing praises? Why is freestyle such a low web as a whole? And why are people kind of trashing the image of freestyle? Man, I I honestly I hear this a lot, and I see it a lot with with a lot of kids coming up now, which makes me really sad because freestyle you know, when you're a kid is amazing because all you need is a ride to a freestyle spot. You don't need to run shuttle. You don't need your parents worrying about you running big rapids. It's park and play most and your parents fill out of the sides. It's a great way to get into the sport and you can get a bomb proof roll like without even thinking about it just by having fun. And, you know, when you're getting beat up in a hole when you are creaking, you know, some extra little special tricks to get out of there right. and you come doing it. I think the biggest reason why there's a lot of hate towards freestyle, and I hope no one takes offense to this, because some people genuinely do like running rivers more, and that's totally cool and awesome, but a lot of people that don't like freestyle, because plain and simple, they're not good at it. You know, you can't fake being good at freestyle. You can tell people that you've ran the little white or the green. You can't, you know, you leave out the part that you swam, that you got your ass kicked and all that <laughs> stuff, but you can't, you can't be like, oh yeah, I can air screw clean one just as good as Dano. And then not be able to do it, you know. It's there's no there's no faking it. So I mean, do you think? I mean, Dane, do you think that your I mean, your family's uh, involvement with freestyle has has hurt your brand image in that way, or what's your what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think uh, well, I think the reason why Jack and Kayak's brand image for the most part is people probably um, attach us to freestyle. Um, we. Um, We've all been really stoked on the freestyle boats that we've come out with um, over the last years. We've always been stoked on the boats as well as a lot of customers. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously, while we've been pushing it, trying to get our freestyle boat the best, we also, I feel that no matter how much creaking I do, no matter how waterfalls I run, um, it seems like myself, Emily, my dad, we're all um, very mostly known for freestyle. Um seems like no matter where I go, freestyle is always what people seem to remember about me or where my name is always tied to, um, which is fine. I'm always I'm stoked on the results that I've had. Um, but I think by myself, my dad, my sister, all of us, and Nick being so tied to freestyle, they tie that to the family name of Jack and Kyle. Um, and uh, in the end, I think we're just now kind of finally starting to get into the point where people will start recognizing us for our creek boats as well. 
Well, I yeah. think anybody who's in the know recognizes, you know, your, uh, your Nick, your dad, you know, everybody's ability in a creek boat. But I think Bryn brings up a really good point. Do you think that people, I mean, I, I, I've never thought about that, but do you think people hate on it because they can't do it weld? Have you ever heard of that? The, the, the hardest thing about freestyle is that, um, I mean, most people around the world are, if they're kayakers, they live around somewhere you can go river running or creaking. And these days, um, waterfalls is where it's at because all you have to do is paddle off the lip, essentially. Um, but I do agree that uh, with Brian, we're in the sense that because people can't access it or when they go and try it once in front of their friend and they don't do very well or they eat it or they just can't figure out how to do certain tricks, they get frustrated and they give up right away. So they go, it's easier to hate on it than it is to respect other people for it. Hmm. Um, so I think uh, I, I agree it, with Brian. I mean, sure. Brian, do you, is, is that sort of anti-freestyle sentiment, is that is that present in, in the UK as well or is that strictly a US thing? No, dude, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, uh, everywhere I go. I mean, UK, it's there as well right now and, and a bunch of stuff. And, you know, like I'm, I'm not, you know, I would never say that river running or creaking or, or kayaking off waterfalls isn't awesome and cool. I just, I just think that unfortunately people don't put in as much time into it as, as they'd like to, you know, like you get, you start kayaking, you get like you get confident, and then some people develop a little bit of an ego, and then that's fueled by surviving them surviving the way down rivers. And then just like Dano said, you know, to do a waterfall well takes incredible amounts of skill and presence of mind and and time put into developing those skills. But you can also just paddle off a lip, and you'll get. There's no doubt you'll be at the bottom <laughs> a few seconds later. You know. I mean, but, I can. You know. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, all you. But I mean, you can't you can't get good at freestyle without putting the time in. You can't get good at any other side of kayaking or anything else in life without putting the time in. And I just think, unfortunately, like a lot of people can get by by not putting the time in by just getting down rivers. Does that make any sense? No, I hear what you're saying. I, I can remember, Grace. Like, Chip, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I remember like when freestyle first started exploding. Uh, it was like kayaking was nothing like the entire future of kayaking was freestyle. If you were around in 99, you know, 98, 2000, in that area, the 2000. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there was kind of like a backlash. And I'll be honest, it came like, at least from my experience, it came from the T-Dub Southeast Green River crew where they were like, fuck freestyle it's not core you know and you know our friend daniel was definitely a big vocal proponent proponent of that i remember in like lvm there was sort of a you know a real struggle between daniel who would kind of fed up with freestyle and sort of what he considered to be like pretty boys out doing you know rodeo and that was definitely you know daniel's sentiment on that and then versus like spencer who was still very active in the freestyle community well let, let me back and up then and we did we and then we did that rodeo is dead thing you remember that like way back in the day yeah but that was it a was freestyle kind of, competition yeah, but it was sort of like even still trying to poke a finger at like the establishment. Like freestyle at the time was like the establishment. Corporate boating was freestyle. Yeah, and but then I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying like that seems to me where suddenly people became like a tribe and they like pick sides. You know? Yeah, that could that that uh, like you, you yeah, but to be core, you had to be like a dirty down but, and dirty creek boater to be a core wait, boater. But let's let's you know. Well, well, no, but see, let's talk about th the thing I think that needs to be clarified on that is that like what these guys are doing up in Quebec, that kind of yeah. thing, 
that yeah. that that's freestyle just because it's not what the competitive scene was you know there was nothing against freestyle there may have oh, been there may have been wow there's this 99% of what everybody talks about are these this circuit of competitions that are going on in for the most part pretty lame features and whatnot and that was all our sport talked about and so there yeah. may have been some frustration with that but as far as freestyle i don't think there's ever been any kind of negativity towards freestyle coming from the big gun i mean the big gun show was a freestyle competition i mean maybe not freestyle as a sport but freestyle as a culture you know mm. yeah you could be and right. it was i don't think it's rational i'm just saying people love to take sides and that was that's how they you know identify themselves as someone who was against freestyle you know and that was cool yeah i think it comes down to what you want to do with your vacation if you only have a certain if you only got six weeks to go kayaking what are you going to do with it you know so mm-hmm. i don't know you, you got any anything else on that one weld because i got another viewer mail i got to move us into i'm i'm no i'm done that's it you guys feel good nothing more to say but um all right here's a good one and this one, uh, you know, this one comes from us uh, from Casey Cunningham. I believe he's out of West Virginia. Um, he wants to know. I'd love to hear your discussion discussion on the thoughts of and ethics of creek cleaning. Um, basically, what he means about creek cleaning is going out sawing logs out of your local run or going somewhere and and and, and clearing the run so you can paddle it. Um, some runs are in wilderness areas where chainsaws are a no-go while others are in state parks and require a very low-key approach to clean up. So what's the best way to get in there and make these creeks go again without pissing off fishermen or park rangers? Hand saws. Anybody want to jump on that one? <laughs> Trained, well, very well-trained divas. Uh, with hand saws. With hand saws. Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, that's that's another good topic. I, I definitely, I am all for cleaning up a run. You know, I think it's just like doing maintenance on like a set of bike jumps or stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's going to make it safer and potentially stop someone getting pinned underneath a log. I am all in for it. But with that being said, there was an incident, I think, down in down somewhere south in England, where people actually rolled rocks into the river to like try and make this little pin spot safer, and. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not cool with that, you know, trying to make rapids easier and all that stuff. I, I definitely didn't think that was that cool, although I understand the logic behind doing it. Mm. Hmm. So there was actually a sieve or something? They tried to fill it in with rocks? Uh-oh. I think we lost it. Yeah, dude. It, it, you know, I can't. I can't. No, I'm still here. Um, I can't, you know, I can't really comment. I've only done that river a few times. And, you know, the, the, that spot basically, the, all, a lot of the water pushes left. But some of it also pushes right, and it's pretty easy to get pushed over the right. And then there's a little slot move. And to be honest, man, if you keep your if you keep your nose up, like any move on the green, you'll be fine. You come straight through it more than likely. But if you pencil into it, then you'll probably get stuck. Like it was, it was definitely gravity if you didn't get your nose up, from what I was told. And uh, yeah, I think they rolled some rocks in there and, and tried to stop that being as potentially pinny. I believe that if it's uh, if it's something that makes a rapid challenging, but you're able to get around it, or if you're proactive and you can avoid it and it's not a river-wide log, log sieve then the whole point of it but if it's something that's not allowing you like a full river-wide log that's keeping you from running a classic rapid or is in a sketchy spot where people run every day i'm all for taking those kind of logs out 
But if it's not bothering you or if it's simply just uh, um, a nuisance, leave it be because that's the whole point of being on a natural sport. You have to deal with natural element and logs are part of that. They might eventually get washed away. Yeah, good point. I do actually carry saw in my boat when I'm yeah. we're doing out in the woods, but I, I also point out about twenty five percent of the time I cut a piece of wood out and it, it goes downstream and makes even a more treacherous, <laughs> more unobvious <laughs> obstacle pin somewhere. So <laughs> I just I, yeah, you know. but I guess that it's um just a question how big of a mission it is. So for example, we were on the Rio Florine earlier this year or last December and we couldn't run the first double drop because there was a log stuck in the first one. And we got told that and we went there and saw it. And all it took us was literally 10 minutes and a throwback to rope it out and put it to the shore, you know. So it's such a little impact to the river. It's, you just gain good things from it. I'm totally fine with that. But the second you have to bring in like engines, cut out stuff, maybe even move big cut out logs out of the river or away from the shore, stuff like that. Then it might be a question, but as long as it's such an easy fix, I wouldn't bother and do it any second for sure. Well, we have uh, we have Seneca Creek here. Have you done Seneca? You never done Seneca, I'm sure. I haven't done it. 15 miles of whitewater. It's the longest whitewater stretch in West Virginia, I think. Class yeah. four or five whitewater. Hurricane Sandy. Uh, what? How long ago was that? Five, six years ago? Yeah, yeah, three or four, something like that. Still full of wood. No one's been in there because it is full of wood top to bottom. There's probably a hundred trees down in that thing from the beginning to the end, and you would need to take a chainsaw in there, and no one's been really willing to do it because they know all hell's going to break loose if you start firing a chainsaw up in there. So there it remains. And I think Otter Creek is another priceless Monongahela whitewater run, same condition. It's just full of wood. Um, and you absolutely have to have a chainsaw to clean that thing out, those things, because they're both 10-plus miles of, of remote wilderness so I don't know. What do you do? It's a tricky one. Hopefully, we'll never hurricane will come through and wash it out. Yeah, right. Fingers crossed. I yeah. don't know. I, you know, if and and I'll tell you another thing. We have the those hemlock aphids that are killing hemlocks, and those are falling all around here now too. The woolly adelgids. Yeah. Well, so. if you have to like pull start a chainsaw, is that a handsaw? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, uh, Bryn, real quick, and I certainly appreciate all, all three of you guys coming on the show here. I, a lot of people are super interested in what's getting ready to take place up there. couple things. Where can our viewers follow the action? What's going on? Man, Facebook. Go to the send um, the send page, which is the the kayak collective that we started up, and uh, we're going to be posting Facebook videos directly to that page of each event stage. We'll have a bunch of live updates on our Instagram account. That's just we are send. Um, go follow that, and you'll see a bunch of updates. And we'll go be working with kayak session really closely as well. So you'll see a bunch of stuff from them. Okay. Our goal is to have an edit out within 24 hours. We're going to very strongly put our effort into having an edit done at 24 hours after each stage. So when a stage is done, the next day there will be an edit and content, um, and there will be four stages. And then at the end of it all, I'm sure we'll do a wrap-up of uh, all the best content and all that. But I'll just keep checking the send and kayak session pages, and um, there's going to be content rolling out uh, every day or every other day. As much as possible, very cool. So Facebook, go to send, follow your kayak session, and the action will be coming to you. When do we? Ex- when are we starting this thing? First, first stage will be on the 29th to the 30th, depending on water levels. And then from there, we're, we're rolling straight into it. We'll probably be an event once 
once every two days. Maybe back-to-back -back if there's going to be sick water levels. But, you know, that's the whole purpose of this event is to get a sick group of people together and just chase the best white water that Quebec has to offer. Well, I am certainly a big fan of all you guys, and I cannot wait to uh, see it all come out. You should do a follow-up. Same here for you guys. Yeah, yeah, real quick before we let you go, what are the chances of uh, maybe doing a follow-up or a mid-competition report? Will you have any uh, service through that period? or? For sure, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, we can always just stop at Tim Hortons and put you far up north and then get it in the All right, fellas. Well, I'll holler at you later and good luck. All right, thanks. Thanks, guys. All right, there you have it. Well, you get a viewer mail about a Jackson answered by a Jackson. There you go. It's hard That's to beat. The hammer factor brings to the table. Okay, I gotta. So, what do you think about what do you think about that Jackson Freestyle Association? I mean, I'll, do you think? I'll, I'll tell you where I, I, I think there is definitely an, an association there, but you know as well as I do that period of time, and this is you know, and I, I don't want to just bring it down to what it is, but you know, the everybody was buying freestyle boats. That's where the money was coming into everybody. Oh, I know. And so that's know. where everybody had to put their emphasis on it. And it wasn't. Yeah. And, and what happened. No, there was nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And what happened was there were people who were into the sport or people who were like, okay, that's cool, but there's all this other stuff going on in Whitewater. They were fully left behind. They were ignored. That part was ignored. Expedition kayaking was ignored. Running hard Whitewater was ignored. Races like the Green Race were ignored. You know, it was just, and so that, See? so if there was any, there if there was any frustration, it came from, well, that is really cool. I do think that's a sweet competition, but what about all these other things that are going on? So I, if there's resentment or if it, if there is resentment from me during that time, um, it would be not so much at freestyle or at the people doing it or whatever, but the industry itself ignoring all those other parts for such a long period of time. So, what do you think about this Jackson thing? And you know, I've in, in, you know, I brought this up with EJ, and I brought I you know I sort of sort of skirting around it with Dane here a second ago, and they never quite really chomp into this into the subject. But what is it about Jackson? Because you and I both no there is there is people out there who there are people out there who just hate on jackson well and they don't know eric they don't know dane they don't know anything about the company but they know to hate jackson well you know you you can't you know is uh, that is that a holdover from freestyle i don't know if it's a holdover from freestyle or is it a, a the per a, a, the result or is it because they're on top and it's easy to hate number one I think it's a it's a personality thing. I think some people you either love them or hate them, and I, well, you know, but I, why? But what is it? But what is it about hmm. them that's to love? Her? I mean, they're. I think you're right. I think you're onto something there. I mean, there, there there seems to be something polarizing about them, but I've never been able to quite quantify that. You I, know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe one of our viewers can come in and 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 bail us out on this one. I don't know to put my finger exactly on it. I I have no idea. You know, people either. Yeah, if if, if a viewer out there wants to make an anonymous. But serious analysis of that, you know, send it in. We want to hear about it. Yeah, that would be a good. That would definitely be a good one to hear. I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. You know, and I don't think you know. Back to what you were saying earlier about Daniel. Daniel was never anti freestyle. No, but he was very cro he was very pro expedition 
you know, thousand yard stare, hardcore, yeah, yeah. Cali, high Sierra, you know, creaking, multi, you know, multi day, you know, that was his thing. Yeah. And he was very much against the pretty boys. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, he, he was a charismatic guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he's yeah. the kind of guy that could, that could lead a movement whether he wanted to or not, you know? Yeah. Well, there's definitely no doubt about that. I don't know. It's a good topic. Viewers. Come on in. Bell us out here. Yeah, seriously. Um, all right. Do, should we, uh, should we get a small to the walls report? Well, Okay, so <laughs> I want everyone to know. I want everyone to know out there, in, a, in an effort of transparency, which your administration Here seems to want to obfuscate. But uh, we need a guest log of people who are writing into the show and giving you gifts, <laughs> because I think there's a correlation between guests on the show and and swag you've received. Oh, this is such nonsense. There's no proof of this. And I just want to tell you, I'm a fan of yes. the little guy out there rallying his crew <laughs> and putting on right. his own race. And that's what my boy Andrew Cooper did up at Smalls to the Walls. What'd you call it? Little Switzerland? <laughs> oh, it was Little Corsica. It looked like Corsica. <laughs> little Corsica. Little Corsica. Yeah. <laughs> The Corsica circa 1985. Let, let, let's see if Andrew's on. He may have left. Um, he got sick of waiting. I think he may have got sick of waiting. As much as he loves the hammer factor, he may have just been like, I'm out, boys. <laughs> Good viewer mail. We've got a lot of, and, and to the people who, who, who we didn't get to their viewer mail, we'll get to them at some point, and we love hearing those. There's so many uh, good perspectives out there. Oh. Andrew. We go. Hey, man. All right. Main we, re- the, the weekly main report. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the show, uh, thanks for coming on. We have Andrew Cooper, who I believe you're the organizer behind Smalls to the Walls. Smalls yep. to the Wall. Got it. Is it Smalls to the Wall or Smalls, Smalls to the Wall? Smalls to the Wall. So. Smalls to the Wall. What's Smalls Creek? What's, what is it? Is it Smalls Run? It's so it's Smalls Falls, which is uh, just kind of like a little gorgy waterfall area on the Sandy River, which is near Rangeley, Maine. I say near because it's technically in like a township, like Township E. Right. So Rangeley is a little more uh, recognizable. Right. So, Andrew, tell us about yourself. What do you do up there in Maine? So, uh, I am the assistant manager for a coach at like a specialty main sport outfitters up in Rockport, Maine. Hang on. You were breaking up there. Can you, and can you give that to us one more time? You were, you were breaking up a little bit there. Yeah. So I, I assistant manager, um, in a kayak shop at a outdoor sporting goods store up in Rockport, Maine, okay. main sport outfitters, main sport yeah. outfitters. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I went to college for outdoor recreation and uh, did some other things outside of college. But once I started working at Maine Sport, that's where I definitely got hooked up with, you know, the whole paddling crew up here and a lot of good paddlers. And since 2010. So, Smalls to the Wall, did you come up with this idea for the race? Are you just continuing on? How long is the race? What kind of times are there out there? And what happened this year? Yeah, so um, 
I, I came up with the race. Uh, the first time we ran it was 2014. Um, my family has always had a, a camp up in the Rangeley area. And so I've always driven by Smalls Falls. Smalls Falls is, it's a rest area. So people kind of go there and, you know, they fish and they cliff jump and they swim. So it's a known spot. It's a really pretty spot. And then after I became a paddler, a light bulb just went off. I was like, yeah, why not have a race here? It's super accessible. You know, there's some fencing up one side of the gorge. So it's, you know, it's kind of safe. You know, it's kind of shut off a little bit. And um, it just looked like an awesome place to hold a race just because of how accessible it was. It's short. So, you know, it's like five or six stack drops. Um, people are doing the race in like under a minute. So it's a sprint. Yeah. And this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. So it's really, it's really compact. Um, you know, it's, it's just a fun kind of high energy race, um, long, but, uh, you know, each racer gets, you know, two runs down the course and then I kind of come times for a fastest overall time. And this year the weather was beautiful. The water level was awesome. You know, I would say there's like over a hundred spectators there. And this was the fourth year that we were in it. So, so let me ask you this. Well, talking about, I'm going off topic here a little bit. We were just having some other discussions, Andrew, but so now it seems like racing is becoming a, you know, you don't see the Cuyahoga Falls rodeo or the smalls rodeo. You're seeing all these races come up. The industry is obviously taking more and more notice. Do you think there's going to be some backlash against racing at some point? Yep. I think uh, I think it's going to be an anti-racing sport, <laughs> and the creek boaters are going to <laughs> villainize racing and any brands associated with racing. I think that's what's going to happen. All right, all right. Uh, we, we were talking about how freestyle has sort of been stigmatized in, in white by some people in white water. Just to what do you think of freestyle, Andrew? Freestyle? <laughs> you hate well, it. Exactly. Yeah. You hate it when it does it. <laughs> Not exactly out there throwing loops or anything like this. So, uh, I mean, you know, play boating's great, um, and there's a lot of awesome waves, you know, to be had in Maine. But, you know, creaking is definitely where it's at. You know, um, you guys have had some people on from Maine before talking about the whitewater scene up here in Maine. It's so spread out. There's you know, a ton of options all over the place. Um, so not super in tune to the, the freestyle thing, but, you know, creaking is definitely where it's at. And, and the one good thing about this race is like the local community is totally like rallied behind it. It's, you know, like I said, there was 17 racers, but there was like over a hundred spectators. So they Killer. love it. You know, it's, they're like, you guys are going down the falls and they're like cheering for us. And they chat up all the racers and it seems like a, a super positive where you, where you would think it would be maybe this kind of elitist niche thing. And that's definitely what I've wanted to get away from. I wanted the challenging spot. So it would provide a lot of action. I didn't want to, you know, make it this super elite thing. And luckily it, it definitely kind of hasn't. It's turned into just like this awesome community event. So yeah, what about, it, uh, Oh, sorry, John. The course looks, I'm sorry. The course looks fine. I mean, it doesn't look, it doesn't look, you know, it looks totally attainable by, by you know a decent intermediate plus skilled boater you know it's not an insane class five rapid but it also has a lot of verticality to it and it's exciting you know so oh yeah totally like it's so um you know as every rapid has its own personality but 
it's it's just really neat. You know, each drop there in Smalls just kind of has its own unique personality. Uh, so it's 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 really fun. You know, it's got um like you said, it's obviously very attainable for you know the the intermediate and advanced voter, but it's got just you know just enough to you know not make it mindless. You know, so there's always like a little bit of carnage, but yeah. What uh? How do you deal with flows there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do I do that? Um, just cross my fingers. Um, there's there's a, a USGS gauge that's downstream of kind of the whole venue, and that's just kind of I use that as you know, no pun intended. Obviously, just you know a gauge, um, and then just how the winter has been going. So so far. You know, I'm batting a thousand on the race going on the proposed date. Like last year was, oh, it was probably the 100 CFS, which I would say is about the lowest that I could run the race. Um, and this year was at least twice that. So yeah, I guess just getting lucky. I mean, it's, you can kind of get dialed into that place. You know, it's such a steep, narrow gorge that the ice almost just kind of, it just kind of goes within a week. So it's. It's as predictable as you know a natural flow can be. So there's no release or anything. Well, congratulations on pulling off another event. I know uh, I know firsthand how it can be to wrangle all that stuff together and pull it off safely. So props to you for that one. And, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, and where can our viewers find out more about Smalls to the Wall? So you know, I, I try to post and keep things. Small and all uh, new this year. Uh, smalls to the wall dot com. So um, I definitely need to kind of update that. You know, there's some like leftover merch, like T-shirts and stuff. So uh, I'll try to be selling them through the website and the Facebook page. So yeah, both. killer. So kill I got you a couple shirts coming in the mail. Yeah, dude, killer swag. Pick yourself up a smallest to the wall shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate the uh, the previous uh, shout outs. You guys had a couple <laughs> other episodes about smalls. Yeah, yeah. Love it. have you been back to the grand canyon since we went down there andrew no 2011 man wasn't man wasn't that an epic trip huh sure was i'll oh, never I'll never forget that one what uh, a crazy crew <laughs> all right andrew well uh we'll let you get back to it and i uh, appreciate your time smalls to the and uh we'll we'll uh we'll see you on the river man i appreciate it. thanks for the cool. time john Thanks, Andrew. Adios. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Uh, sorry about that connection. I don't know. They must. Did was he breaking up for you, John? Yeah, it's Maine. Yeah, it's Maine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. So you probably heard that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're close to our. Uh, we're we're pretty much at our time limit. There. Good show. Lots of good uh, good people on this year. Let's uh, rants and raves. Everybody's favorite part of the show. And I want to remind Gosh. everybody before we do rants and raves that I really want to hear some viewer mail on this whole uh, freestyle hate thing. Freestyle love, freestyle hate. So, right. you know, interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes we're so embedded inside, it's, you know, so maybe some outside perspective would be good. Right. All right. You got, a, you got a rant or a rave? I had one. I can't remember what it is. Jeez. Um. Hmm. I can't recall. Well, I have a rave, and and you may not like this, John, because it kind of has to do with one of your competitors a little bit. Oh, boy. Um, Here we go. But uh, I'm going to rave about NRS Films. 
So NRS just uh, releases these web films. Um, they're really nicely produced, and they always have, most of the time, have a, a, a good story. But they just released one that kind of recapped um, Jimmy Carter's um, trips down the Chattooga before deliverance when he was a governor and his experience going over Bull Sluice for the first time. And uh, it was... Uh, a super compelling film that you you learn a little bit about history and Jimmy Carter. So I want to rave about that film. How's where's? I'd love to know where NRS is. How how NRS is making all this happen? You mean where they can fund this kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's just I'd love to be able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, what am I missing? Well, you're not selling you know three thousand dollar rafts and. You know, like think about think about every ducky operation in the country. You know, they're just while they do have dry tops and things like that. There's, you know, they have a pretty they broad stuff. broad selection of of stuff that they're selling. <clears throat> anyway, do you, do you, would you like to add a rant or a rave? Would you, <sighs> would you like to rant about? I had how a good. <laughs> I had a really good one, but I cannot remember what it is. Well, shoot, feel free. I don't know. It's gonna have to wait till next week. Feel free to give John Weld um, some crap online about not being able to come up with a rain or rave. And uh, I think we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Oh, we have a good episode next week, don't we? we have a, I think we have an exciting guest. Yes. Tell everybody Maybe. about tell everybody about what we got going on next week because you, you're kind of lining this one up. Oh, well, uh, I have a good friend of mine who is a, uh, ex, you know, an excellent kayaker and a slalom paddler who's also who's now a surgeon specializing in shoulders and has done a lot of work on paddlers shoulders he's going to come on and talk about um uh you know that people all the bum shoulders out there may want to tune in to hear what he advises to do to prevent injury and how to treat yourself or how to take care of yourself post-injury so yeah and this is a surgeon correct he's a surgeon yeah he he, we're supposed to have him today but he's in surgery go figure (laughs) so all right. Well, there you go. I, I would like to. I'd like to call in while he's on surgery. <laughs> Can you hold my scalpel? I got to take this. I mean, the hammer factor is that important, right? Do you think All we'll right. ever get Mitch McConnell on? No, but I, we had a we had a very very exceptional guest pending. I, I won't mention any names. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still happening, or we lost track of that? We've kind of lost track of that, but you know, anything can come back around. All right. All right, Hammer Factor out. We will see you next week. See you next week.